What do you have this morning? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have more than you can ever imagine. We've been talking the last few weeks about our possessions in Christ. What do we have? What has God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit provided for us as a result of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary? But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to turn the corner from our possessions in Christ to what the Apostle Paul is going to open up as our position, our spiritual position in Christ. First, what the Apostle Paul is going to do in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 is he is going to explain what God has done for sinners in general and what he's done for the Gentiles in particular. And the sinner who trusts Christ has been raised and seated on the throne. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And believing Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled into the temple, into the body of Christ, verses 11 through 22. And what a miracle of grace. God has taken all of us who could never deserve salvation to become a part of God's family, have been united together into the family of God, Jew and Gentile, and we have been placed, we've been taken out of the graveyard and been placed at the throne of glory. What grace We have so many things for which to be thankful. Welcome this morning to Faith. We're so glad that you're here with us, whether you're here in body or whether you're here over the Internet or listening to this at some time in the future, which this would be in the past for you. We're so glad that you are with us today. Maybe the easiest way for us to approach this very, very long paragraph that the Apostle Paul writes is for us to divide it into four specific works that the Apostle Paul deals with, and we will look at the first one this morning. So let's read. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, which is where we're going to be this morning. We've divided this up into a few sections. Rather than taking it uh, so many verses at one time, we might go a little bit slower, a little bit deeper into these first three verses. The Apostle Paul starts out in the second chapter. He says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, for fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Have any of you ever had a full body portrait made? What I mean is, I mean, not just like the head and shoulder shot. I mean, they were saying like, okay, you're going to stand and going to take a picture of all of you. It's awkward, isn't it? You don't know what to do with your hands. You don't know what to do with your feet. And you're going, well, you know, is this my good, better side or is this my better side? It, it's, a, it's a little bit uh, awkward. It's also, uh, you know, it, you're open to the entire world. 
And it's a little bit about what the apostle does with the sinner in this section. He, what he does is he gives a complete picture of the sinner, who we are, what our problem is, where we came from, where the problem originated, and where we're going. So he gives a complete picture of the sinner without Christ this morning. He lists out the characteristics, and that's where he begins. First, what we see is without Christ, we're dead. Without Christ, we have no life. Verse 1, and you, the Bible says he did what? When we come to Jesus, trust him as our Savior, he makes us alive. Now, what does that mean? It means we were once we were once dead. And so he says, and you, he made alive who were, and here it is, can't get any more plain than this, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, obviously, he's talking about spiritual death here. And that is, without Christ, we are unable to understand and unable to appreciate spiritual things. The person without Christ has no spiritual life whatsoever, can do nothing of himself to please God. No matter how good we are, no matter what we do, whether we help someone cross the street, whether we help them with their groceries, whether we give to the poor, whatever. It's of no spiritual value without the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us to please God. Just as a physical person or a person physically dead doesn't respond to physical stimuli, so a person who's spiritually dead doesn't respond to spiritual things. When you are at the funeral home and there's a body in a casket at the front of the room, that corpse, that body does not hear the conversations that are going on around them. They don't have any appetite for food or drink. They feel no pain. The body is dead. Just so in the physical realm is it true in the spiritual realm. Without Jesus, without the regenerating power of God's Holy Spirit, the person without Christ is spiritually dead. We can't hear God, we can't uh, feel God, and we can't respond, and we can't do what we need to do, or we can't be who we need to be in order to be right with God. That takes something from the external. Uh, the spiritual faculties are not functioning, and they can't function unless God gives life. So what is the cause of this spiritual death? What do we see in verse number 1? We were dead where? In our trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. What does Romans 6.23 tell us? The wages of sin is death. Romans tells us all the wages, all have sinned. So that's, that's our spiritual condition. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23. So we are, we're all sinners. And the wages, what we deserve because we are sinners, is death. And when the Bible talks about death, primarily it's talking about a separation. To be spiritually dead is to be separated from God. To be physically dead is for the spirit of the human being to be separated from the body. 
So death is a separation in both the physical realm and the spiritual realm. So not only physically as a spirit separated from the body in James chapter 2, verse 26, but also spiritually that we are spiritually separated from God. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 2. So if you're listening to this message today, wherever you are, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are not sure and you're going along life's journey trying to be good enough to get to heaven on your own, you're not sick. You're dead. You're dead spiritually. And you say, well, that's hard words. I'm merely quoting what the Apostle Paul wrote under the authority of God's Holy Spirit. He says he is speaking to followers of Christ here, the Ephesian believers. He's saying you were once dead as a sinner, but you were made alive. How? Through catechism. You were made alive through baptism. You were made alive through good works. You were made alive through what? We were made alive through grace in Christ. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about. You see, uh, the only difference between one lost sinner and another is the state of decay. The derelict on Skid Row may be more decayed outwardly than the socialite, but the thing is, they're, all, they're both dead, and it's just a matter of time. So our situation, our condition apart from Christ is dire. We're dead in our trespasses and sins apart from Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? When we look out into the world, we're looking out at a graveyard. So many that we see, we we. we rub shoulders with, well, maybe not during the pandemic, but uh, we at least see around us if they, don't, if they haven't yet placed their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, are dead in trespasses and sin, and are already in the graveyard, so to speak, spiritually, and have yet to receive, a, a, yet to receive new life. We're filled with people who were dead while they still live. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 6. So without Christ, we're dead. First thing that Paul says. Secondly, what Paul says is our death began, had to originate somewhere, it began with disobedience. And that's basically what sin is. At its most basic level, sin is disobedience. Let's take a look at verse number 2. Paul goes on to say, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. He says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as others. So what he's saying here is he says you once walked according to the course of this world and who works in the sons of or the children of disobedience. This was the beginning of man's spiritual death, disobedience to the will of God. 
God said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely what? Die. He said that to Adam. He said, there you have the whole garden. You have all the animals to name. You have a job. You're going to tend this beautiful garden. But there's only one thing. There's a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you can have everything you want in the garden except that one tree because in the day that you eat of that tree, you're surely going to die. Satan said what? Oh, come on, you're not going to die. God, that's not what God meant, which is Satan's basic ploy. He likes to twist and distort what God said, what God did. He distorts what God has made, and he turns it into something that is evil. And so what he did was he said, no, you're not sure, you're not going to die. That's not what God meant. Verse 17 of uh, Galatians chapter 2, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. And because they believed the lie, the first man and woman experienced immediate spiritual death and eventual physical death. So their physical death began the moment they ate and dis- uh, disobeyed and ate of that fruit. And they died immediately at that point in time, spiritually. And since that time, mankind has lived in disobedience to God. And there are three forces that are at work in our life. Three forces that the Apostle Paul brings out here that encourage us, that encourages mankind in his and her disobedience. The world, the devil, and the flesh. The first thing we see is the world or this world system. Not the mountains and the trees and what God created, but it's this world system that puts pressure on every individual to get them to conform. We see that in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Uh, Jesus Christ, when he was on the earth, was not of this world. And neither are his people. John chapter 8, verse 23, and other verses that state that. We're not of this world. We have a citizenship that's where? In heaven. We don't belong here. It's like a diver who's put on the, uh, the mask and the, and the air tank and is underneath the, the surface of the water. And they're only there for a, a particular period of time because they can only survive in that hostile environment as long as they have that external protection. So you and I are on this earth. We don't belong here. The only way that we can survive is through the power of the Holy Spirit energizing us to please God while we're here. And one day we're going to be ushered from this life into life eternal, and we're going to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so in this world system, Jesus was not of this world, Neither or neither are we, and so what we do, uh, we do is we obey Him. But the person without Christ lives in disobedience because they listen, they follow the values of this world system, either consciously or unconsciously. It's controlled by the values and controlled by the attitudes of the world. Things they read on social media, things they hear things they they see, and just simply out of our basic human nature. The second force that's at work is Satan, the devil, the spirit that now worketh in the sons of or the children of disobedience, as Paul puts it. Now, this doesn't mean that Satan's personally at work. 
in everybody's life because Satan is limited. Satan is not like God. He's not omnipresent. He is not everywhere. And so people say, well, the devil made me do it, just like the comedian from many, many years ago. Now, well, the devil didn't necessarily make you do it. Uh, the, uh, the apostle James said, no, we did it because that's our human nature, and uh, we wanted to do it, and we ended up doing it. But Satan has a force out there, his demons that are at work all over creation. And so Satan and his minions, so to speak, are at work trying to keep people blinded to the truth of the gospel. And also he's there to thwart you and thwart me as followers of Christ and and cause us to be ineffective, to do things that would maybe destroy our testimony or do things, say things that would cause other people to no longer trust us as a follower of Christ. And so that is what he is up to. Uh, Unlike God, who's omnipresent, Satan can't be in all places at once. But since Satan was disobedient to God, he wants us to be disobedient to people as well. As I said earlier, one of Satan's main tools is lies. He wants us to believe a lie. And that's how primarily he works. His initial lie at the beginning of, of human history was, You shall not surely die. That's not what God meant, obviously. It's not not what he meant is what Satan is saying. And that plunged the human race into sin when Adam chose to disobey God and to eat of that fruit. And the unsaved multitudes today disobey God because they believe the lie of Satan or the lies of Satan. And when a person believes and practices a lie, The Apostle Paul says they become a child or they become a son of disobedience. And then number three, it's the flesh, Paul says, in whom, he says, you conducted yourself in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. It's that nature within us. By the flesh, Paul doesn't necessarily mean our bodies because there's nothing innately evil with our body. There's nothing wrong with our bodies other than the fact that as we get older, they begin to fall apart and we begin to have aches and we, be- we begin to have pains. That's part of the death. Do you realize that you're dying the moment you, you're born? Cells are dying. And we're on that pathway to ultimately one day we're going to breathe our last breath on planet Earth. So the body itself is not evil. It's not bad. It's just a vehicle. It's just a... Uh, the, the tabernacle, the way uh, the, the Bible puts it, or the, or the tent or the temporary uh, house that our spirit lives in. But the flesh, the way Paul uses it, refers to that fallen nature. Our, fallen, our humanness, the human part of us. Now, we're body, we're soul, and we're spirit. Body is that fleshly part that we can see, we can feel, we can touch. The, the soul is that inner part of us that encompasses the mind. It encompasses the will. It's the part that gives our, us our personality. And then there's the spiritual part, the spirit part of us. And that's the part that God energizes when he comes into our life after we trust Christ as our Savior. And so the flesh that Paul's referring to is that humanness part of us, that, that soul part of us, that part that that is 
the, the, the part that, rem- that remains, it's still there because we're not perfect the moment we trust Christ. We still have the ability to sin. We have now a new ability to say no to sin. But as Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the more I try to do what's good, that's when that fallen human part of me say, uh, stops me from doing good or keeps me from doing good, from what I want to do. And when I don't want to do it, that's when I do it. And when I, when I try to do it, that's when I don't do it. That's the flesh part of us, the sinful nature the Bible calls the flesh. So is it any wonder the person without Christ is disobedient to God? First of all, we've got Satan. They're believing Satan's lie. And then the next, we have the unregenerate human nature that can't understand God because the things of God, the Bible says, are spiritually understood. It's the Holy Spirit that has to come in and open our mind to the truths of God. So we need outside help. And that help only comes from God. So that brings us to the third thing. The third part of the, 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 the full body portrait, so to speak, of the sinner. Secondly, not only are we dead apart from Christ, not only did that death begin with disobedience, but without Christ, we are depraved. You say, well, that sounds like a bad word. Well, it is. Because normally when we think of depravity, it's not a nice term to use to, uh, about somebody. So the Bible says we are depraved. Verse 3, he says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. That's what we just went over. He says, the last part, we were by nature, what? Children of wrath. Children of wrath just as the others. The lost sinner, the person without Christ, pleases what? The desires of the flesh and the wishes of the mind. That's the Greek literal translation. Apart from Christ, we live to please the desires of the flesh and the wishes of the mind. Meaning, if it feels right, then it's okay. If I can think it, it's okay for me to do it. That's the attitude of a person without Christ. Of course, sometimes that's the attitude of those who are, who are followers of Christ as well. And that comes back to our fallen nature. comes back to believing a lie of Satan. So we are depraved. Our actions and our appetites apart from Christ are sinful. If you look up the word depraved in the dictionary, Webster or just about any other dictionary, the dictionary definition means morally corrupt or wicked. Morally corrupt or wicked. And when you apply the word depraved to a person without Christ, you're not saying that they only do evil. What you're saying is that they can't do anything that is spiritually good or that they're incapable of doing anything good. So when we apply the word depraved to a person before Christ, you're not saying that they only do evil and they can't do good. What we're simply saying is they can't do anything to merit salvation or to meet the high standards of God's holiness. It doesn't mean we're all bad. and doesn't mean we can't be good. It just means we can't be the good that God requires, which would be sinless perfection. And since no human can reach that on planet Earth, in comes 
the sacrificial death, the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He took our place. He took our penalty. So Jesus even said in his own words, he says the lost, the sinner, does good to others. Luke chapter 6, verse uh, 33, he says, look, look at those, look at the wicked. They do, th- they do good things to each other sometimes. Doesn't mean they can't do good. He says they do good to their children. Luke eleven thirteen. they give their children good gifts. But they can't do anything spiritually to please God is what he's saying here. The, think about the natives on Malta. Remember when the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked? The natives on Malta were without Christ. They were dead in sin, but they helped the Apostle Paul. They did good. They just weren't good enough to please God. They needed Jesus. They needed. They still needed to be saved. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. And then, finally, without Christ. See, the bad news gets worse, just like the Bible. All have sinned. That's bad news. The Bible goes on and gives even worse news to the sinner. He says the wages of sin is death. And I thought the bad news was bad. Well, it gets worse. Without Christ, we're doomed. He says we were the nature, or by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. By deed, by nature, children of wrath, and by deed, children of disobedience. John chapter 3, verse 18, that... Uh, John chapter 3, 16. We could probably all quote John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, he goes on in the next few verses to talk about, in Christ, we're good. We're saved from uh, from the penalty of sin. We are now part of the family of God. We are born again into the family of God. But he says those who don't trust, those who don't believe Jesus, they're what? They're condemned already. John chapter 3, verse 18. The sentence has already been passed. We don't have to wait to be arraigned. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven or to get before the throne room of God for God to decide, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, put your, I'll put your life on the scales and we'll see which one outweighs the other, and it, we're, it's going to determine where you spend eternity. You know, the Bible says, in this life, before we die, we make the choice of our eternal place. So he says, we're condemned already apart from Christ. The sentence has already been passed, but God in his mercy is staying the execution sentence. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 is where he talks about that he is giving all of us the opportunity to believe so just as we said all have sinned and fallen short the wages of sin is death but god demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us so what can we do God demonstrated his love. He sent Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ, who was perfect and sinless, 
God in the flesh, died on the cross in our place, took the wrath of God upon himself, paid for your sin and paid for mine. And the Bible says, by grace through faith, we're saved. Not by works, because if it, by work, if it were by works, we could boast about it and say, look at how good we are. So by God's grace, he makes it possible through faith to be made right with God and to be made alive, just like Paul said in verse number one, to be made alive in Christ. So the bad news got worse. There's good news, and the good news gets better. We're going to get into that next week as we get into what God has done for those who've trusted Christ as their Savior. Mankind cannot save themselves. We can't do anything. We can't be good enough. We can't pray enough prayers. We can't do enough good deeds to, get, to become right with God. Jesus already took care of that on the cross of Calvary. But God, but God in his grace and the steps that he took, he made salvation possible. But God, what a difference those two words make. And this will lead to the second work that we're going to look at next week. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we've come together, by your grace we ask that you would be with us through this week. If anyone does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, we ask that you would open their minds to the truth and understand that you love each and every one of us where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how disobedient, no matter how wicked, no matter how depraved, or no matter how good, but yet still apart from you. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes, help us to see who you are, what you've done through Jesus on our behalf, and that we would be able to receive the free gift of eternal life and brand new life simply by your grace through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And thank you for the promise that all who call upon your name will be saved, delivered from the penalty and the power of sin, and ultimately delivered from the presence of sin. We thank you, we praise you, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.